This podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It was Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. Then from Luke chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Again in Isaiah chapter 66, verses 12 and 13. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Again in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Then from John, chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. This is the word of God. Christmas is as much about anticipation as it is about the actual celebration, isn't it? We anticipate all these good things associated with Christmas, the various traditions that we have, the family gatherings, the giving and receiving of gifts. They're all good things. But Advent should be about building our anticipation for the coming of Jesus. Advent should shake us out of our daily routines and help us to focus on what is truly important. Um, The Apostle Paul reminded the Roman Christians, he said, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Every day is one day closer. 
Advent is remembrance of his first coming into the world as a child and a looking forward to his return to the world as a king. A king who will rule in righteousness and truth. This should increase our longing for an end of sin and suffering and death. As Jesus' followers, um, we must not become too comfortable here in this world. In fact, if you're not looking forward to his return, it might just mean that you don't know him yet. Um, Paul said this near the end of his life. He said, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. We can't long for someone's appearing unless we know them. We're looking forward to seeing him. And only those who know him and long for his appearing will be those who receive that crown of righteousness, not based on what we've done, but on what he has done. He took our sins and he gave us the free gift of righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we have come to the fourth Sunday of the Advent season. So let's light the candle. Oh, this back screen isn't keeping up with the... The fourth candle in the Advent wreath represents something that every human heart longs for, and that is peace. Peace is the proclamation of the angels. As soon as that angel told the shepherds that the Savior was born and they would find him in a manger in Bethlehem, Suddenly, a multitude of angels appeared. And in unison, they made this proclamation. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So Dick has already talked about our verse today here. This is our text for today. We'll go into it a little deeper. Um, So I like this depiction uh, from the 19th century British painter and poet, William Blake. Here's the multitude of angels. You know, it it must have been scary enough for those shepherds when there was only one angel. And then all of a sudden, there's a whole army of them. And the sound must have been incredible as they made their proclamation. Now, we're more used to the King James language in this verse. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's much more familiar, isn't it? But um, the, the, these newer translations actually uh, do a better job. Um, <clears throat> that makes it kind of sound like that peace is coming upon all men, right? But that's not what it actually means. It means that only those who please God 
can expect his peace. The NIV says it even better. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. What is his favor? Luke uses the same word later in his gospel when he records Jesus' prayer, thanking the Father that God has revealed the truth to those whom he favors. And in Ephesians 1.5, it says that through Jesus, God adopted believers as sons and daughters according to his good pleasure. Same word, his favor. So who are the people that God favors? With whom is he pleased? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Look at Hebrews 11.6. It says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God is pleased with those who put their faith in him. And this isn't an amorphous, contentless faith. It's faith in the one true God who has revealed himself to mankind. Our faith is a response to that revelation. You know, even before the scriptures began to be written, God spoke to men personally. He spoke to Adam and Eve, who chose not to believe him about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we can assume that later they returned to God in faith because there's no further acts of rebellion recorded in Genesis. But then God spoke to Cain, who also rejected his word. And then he killed his brother and he suffered for it. But he spoke to Abraham, who did believe, and who the New Testament calls the father of faith. And then with Moses, God began recording his word in the books of the Bible. And finally, he sent his son as the ultimate revelation to us. So this is how the book of Hebrews begins. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So our faith is in a specific object, Jesus Christ. He is the inheritor of all things, it says, because he made all things. He is the creator. He is God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He told his disciple Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And this verse also says that he made purification for sins. This is his work on the cross. This was foretold by Isaiah, who said in Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Which brings us back to this proclamation of the angels. The proclamation of peace 
for those with whom God is pleased. In chapter 9 of Isaiah, we saw that one of the titles of the Messiah is Prince of Peace. And you'll remember from a couple of weeks ago that Isaiah also recorded another prophecy concerning the Messiah. God had given a sign to that evil king, Ahaz, that a child was to be born of a virgin who would be called Emmanuel. And you'll remember that that prophecy has a dual fulfillment. A child to be born at the time of Ahaz and Isaiah and the future birth of the actual Messiah. That name, Emmanuel, is a name given to convey the function of this miraculous sign, to prove that God was really among us. But Mary didn't name her son Emmanuel. She named him Jesus. And I believe that this first child's actual name was Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz. This was the short-term fulfillment. These dual fulfillments are often involved in what we call types in the Bible. So Adam, David, they're both types of Christ. The Old Testament types are imperfect pictures of Christ since they only show a shadow of the ultimate reality. Then types of Christ, they show their perfection, their final perfection in the ultimate fulfillment that Jesus brought. But these Old Testament types help us by shining forth God's glory as manifestations of God's grace by pointing to this new covenant that he's given us in Jesus. So I think I can show you that Hezekiah is also a type of Christ. First, Hezekiah was a descendant of David. He was the anointed king of Israel. And what does Messiah mean? It means the anointed one. Hezekiah also presided over the second golden age in Judah. Peace was maintained under his rule, even though they were threatened on all sides. So he was a kind of prince of peace. And also, one of the first things that Hezekiah did when he took over the throne was to cleanse the temple, to restore proper worship after the gross idolatry of his father Ahaz. Jesus kicked out the money changers. That foreshadowed this ultimate cleansing of the temple when he comes at his second coming. And like Jesus, Hezekiah prayed that God would forgive the sins of the people who didn't understand what they were doing when they failed to properly worship him. But the best and and the strongest parallel I see here is when Hezekiah became ill and he was told by the prophet Isaiah to get his house in order because he was about to die. And this happened as the Assyrian army under King Sennacherib was bearing down on Jerusalem. It looked as if God was about to finally judge Judah for their sin, as he had done with the northern kingdom already. So it says in 2 Kings 20, verses 2 and 3, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart 
and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. God heard that prayer and showed him grace. And Isaiah was leaving the palace and God called him back. And God told him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you will go up to the house of the Lord. Hezekiah was under the sentence of death. But like Jesus, on the third day, he rose up. He trusted Yahweh. And Yahweh rewarded him with another 15 years of peaceful rule in Jerusalem. But it wasn't just Hezekiah who was saved. As the leader of God's people, he represented the whole nation. Hezekiah wasn't simply concerned for himself. He was concerned for the nation. He was the mediator between God and the people. So God tells him in the next verse, I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. Hezekiah was delivered and the city was delivered. But Hezekiah's concern went beyond himself and the city. In his initial prayer about Sennacherib's threat, this is what he said. So now, O Lord God, save us, please, from his hand, Sennacherib's hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah wanted the whole world to know and honor God. He wanted God's glory to be revealed. So the city was saved from Sennacherib and his army. But how did God deliver them? Well, he used an angel. Look at 2 Kings 19, 35. It says, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And that took care of King Sennacherib. Peace doesn't come without conflict. The army of the enemy had to be wiped out. The commander of the army had to be removed. Then, and only then, could there be peace in Jerusalem. And the peace that the angels announced on that first Christmas will not come until the enemy is defeated. Our enemy is implacable. Satan will never quit until he is thrown into the lake of fire. Then he will be stripped of his power. And the universe will know that the Lord is king and his peace will never end. Again, the angels will be instrumental in bringing that victory about. In Revelation eleven fifteen, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world do not yet belong to Christ. 
They're under the power of the evil one. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. He offered him control of the kingdoms of this world, but it wasn't time. That peace is coming to this world, but it's not here yet. But there is another kind of peace, and it's an internal peace. Look at this promise to the nation of Israel. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So when I read this verse this week, it blew my mind. Why? Because when I first started thinking about this topic of peace, before I ever cracked open the Bible, I was trying to think of an illustration I could give you guys of what, what true peace is. And guess what I came up with? I came up with a baby laying on a mother's breast. It's like, how can you get any more peaceful than that? A baby has complete trust in her mother. The comfort of a mother brings perfect peace. And that's what this internal peace of God is like. Isaiah declared, You, God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And this is the peace that reaches deep into our souls. And I'm sure Hezekiah had such a peace. It says this about him in 2 Kings 18, verse 5. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among the kings of Judah after him, nor among those whom were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Hezekiah's faith pleased God. And he brought about peace for his soul and for the nation. The peace proclaimed by the angels will eventually be a reality for Israel when the Lord returns. But this inner peace is available right now for every soul who will put their trust in Jesus. Jesus gives it to his disciples. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So 2020 has given us plenty of reasons to be troubled and afraid, hasn't it? It's been one of the least peaceful years in memory. I can tell you I've lost a lot of sleep over the trouble that we've been experiencing in our country. Beginning with COVID-19. For some of us, the pandemic is, is just an annoying inconvenience. But for many, it's catastrophic. I mean, people have lost their livelihoods. Many people have spent years building their business and watched it all just melt away. And the suicide rate has dramatically increased during this time. And then there were the riots that we had in the cities this year. 
Um, you know, how could this be happening in America? And then the awful division over politics that has separated people from their own family members and from people within their own churches. All of this has shaken me up pretty bad. But <clears throat> I always have to come back to the foundation of faith. No matter what happens, God is still in control. So whenever I wake up in the middle of the night worrying, I eventually get around to praying. Only by putting things into an eternal perspective can we find rest. Only by trusting God can we have the peace that he wants us to have. Like Paul said in Romans 14, verse 7, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. This life is not all that there is. And dying isn't the worst thing that could happen to a believer. You know, 100 years from now, none of these problems are going to make any difference. They're going to be gone. I just heard this statistic the other day. A study showed that mental illness has risen in every category of our population in 2020. Every category except one. The one is people who attend church regularly. Isn't that cool? <clears throat> so how's that possible? Well, the answer is found in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So instead of worrying, pray. Instead of grumbling, give thanks. And instead of giving up, ask God to help. Then the peace will come. And it will be a supernatural peace, a peace beyond understanding. It will satisfy both our hearts and our minds. And like that baby on her mother's breast, it will bring us perfect peace. Now there's one more aspect of peace that I haven't mentioned yet. And without it, you'll never experience the inner peace of God or the external peace that is coming with his kingdom. This peace is called peace with God. The Bible says that we're all enemies of God because of our sin. But the proclamation of peace through the angels includes a remedy for that problem as well. And we'll end with this. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. His death transforms us from God's enemies into his children, from hostility into peace. So do you have peace with God? If so, do you have the peace of God? And are you looking forward to that day? when there will be peace on earth. 
It's all available simply by placing our faith in the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you give your children this supernatural peace. Lord, help us to plug into that power. Lord, help us to avail ourselves of what you offer freely. And Lord, let the world see that there's something different. There's something beyond understanding in the peace that you give. And Lord, we pray that you come quickly. We pray that you come and bring peace to the whole earth. Lord, we thank you that we can look forward to that day and that each day is one day closer. So we give you praise and honor and glory. And we just love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.